Welcome to the More Than Fitness Podcast. All right, I think I think we're uh, uh, we're we're good to go. How uh, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I know this is uh, it's always interesting whenever you get to meet people for the first time, and um, this is also why I like to start off the podcast just kind of naturally and record right away because this is our first time, I guess, quote unquote, formally meeting, uh, and, and so so yeah, I think that a lot of the banter in the beginning typically gets lost and it's it's also the first time for the listeners some of the listeners to to get to know you as well so uh so so yeah i wanted to first thank you so much for um for coming on and i'm super excited to to dig into your background and everything because you have a very unique approach it seems like to to fitness and also the you have the evidence-based side, and then also you're just like the a normal human. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to do that, and and yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. Of course, I probably should have put a disclaimer out that said technology is not my forte or my strength. So when we record straight away, I should have put that disclaimer out there first of all because I always fail on technology for a good minute or so before I start anything. So I apologize for that. Um, but I don't think I've been called normal for a while, so that was a nice. That was nice. <laughs> not a common <laughs> phrase for me so that's great so i'll take that Thanks. yeah yeah of course it's yeah it's 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 no problem i, I typically yeah i like to jump into things but no the technology is good the the sound is good i can hear you okay i can see you okay i think we're uh we're good to go i think the first thing so first off the the obvious the accent okay so where and i'm sure you get this this question all the time and i also my girlfriend's from iceland so i know that the accent question and things but i'm genuinely just curious where uh, i think you're based out of the uk but is that where you were kind of that's that where you've grown up your entire life yeah so i live in the uk but i i'm from scotland and i live in england so my accent is the east coast of scotland um and it hasn't really gone since i've lived in england so it's pretty yeah it's still pretty strong yeah for sure how how are things in in england right now as far as corona and just everything in general um, well, we've where we are at the moment, we've been put back on local lockdown. So I think in England, things are about to go backwards a little bit in terms of what we're allowed to do. We have been allowed to do a lot recently, and potentially that was an error. I've, it's not my place to to comment on that. And um, so I think we're going to go back into lockdown. So you know, with everything shut. So we'll see how that goes. How is it there for you? Um, yeah, so so I'm actually uh, I was I was born and raised in in Kentucky. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the states and things. You're probably much more aware of New York and New York City, um, which is which is where I'm residing now. And uh, I actually got here about a month ago, and things are way calmer than what they were kind of in the beginning. I think that a lot of the the big wave has kind of passed by, uh, but there's there's less people. Everyone's wearing masks, and so me coming from a very small town background and then moving to New York City. It was kind of like New York City on training wheels because there wasn't as many people here and just not as many people were out. There weren't as many cars. Um, but but overall, I mean, uh, I'm enjoying it. I think that the people, I mean, people wear masks, they social distance, they take it very seriously here and the numbers have been excellent. So so uh, yeah, I think it's, it's promising. Today actually is the first day that they are allowing, we're kind of going the other direction. Today we're allowing 25% capacity inside restaurants. So that is 
that's that's very exciting. Oh, that is exciting. We we our government told us gave us all um, a scheme to make us eat out, so it was to help the economy. So we spent there was about a month where they told us to eat out and you'll get it for half price, and then they decided that that was a mistake and blamed us all for the spread of COVID and have now decided to close half of things again. So <laughs> I see, I see. Well, 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 don't worry. We're not. We're we're uh, especially in light of last night's presidential debate here. You're here in uh, the U.S. Don't worry, we don't, we don't have to spend time talking politics. I just know that I've seen things with with your. I follow enough people from the U.K. and stuff to to have you know even just the slightest understanding with your old government. And I know that you know here with Trump and everything, it's um, uh, people are aware. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, um, I actually I do want to catch up on that debate. Actually, my brother lives in the states, and so I do have some sort of vested interest, I suppose. But it's um, I have seen a lot of feedback from it, so I look forward to watching it, catching up on it. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's um, interesting. Is the adjective I will use? It's interesting, um, but uh, but cool, but cool. Uh, I kind of I typically like to ask people uh, first, just like what they. Uh, so whenever that you, if you, well now with Rona, it's it's different. But if you would go into a bar, if you'd meet somebody for the first time ever, what kind of uh, what do you tell them that you do? Because I know that you have a plethora of degrees here and I don't typically have to write down the amount of degrees and just certifications that people have. Um, but, but just know that, yeah, she's got her bachelor's in, in, in sports biomedicine, uh, her master's in sport and exercise nutrition and a PhD in exercise physiology. And you're also a registered nutritionist. And then, you know, you're like a superhero and then plenty of other things as well. So, so, so yeah, what, uh, what to the, to the normal conversation, to the normal person, what do you kind of introduce yourself as like, what do you do? Yeah. So I am a nutrition consultant. That's pretty much what I will tell someone that I do. I work with mostly one-to-one with people to, um, support them in their relationship with food or their body composition and health in some way. And I'm also an educator in sport nutrition and exercise nutrition. So I run an online course that is um, holistic evidence-based nutrition. And I also teach at a couple of different universities in sport nutrition as well. That's it in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) In a a nutshell. Yeah, definitely. Um, But, but yeah, no, what I was, what I was saying in the beginning, I, I was reading through some of your website and then I go through Instagram and just kind of uh, figure out your, 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 your lingo, so to speak, and then just kind of see your, your approach on, on different things. And what really stood out to me and why I thought that you were so different than, uh, because like you had in here, you typically have two different approaches and it's, it's typically like the hardcore uh, evidence-based and then, um, you know, uh, competitor counting macros, calories, just very, uh, uh, data driven kind of. And then you also have the other side, which is more of like the body positive social media influencer or something, uh, that doesn't have, that possibly doesn't have too much of a background and a degree in the field and things like that. I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're kind of in the middle and you talked about how your approach is kind of, uh, the difference between being anti-diet. So you have the, the, on the influencer side being completely anti-diet. Um, and then also kind of the, the grind harder, just, uh, you know, work harder, discipline yourself harder. So what is kind of your, your overall approach to things? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. That is obviously where I try and fit because I don't think it's beneficial to be an extreme of anything in, in general. So that is where I fit. And I think, I think those two kind of 
um, very dichotomous groups have arisen because that's how people make money. And I think that that's actually where they have come from, regardless of whether, you know, the anti-diet movement is a social movement. It's very um, intertwined with body positivity and health at every size. And of course, there are some really great um, underpinnings and, and messages there that are important. But ultimately, when we come to these extremes, it's usually because we have people trying to sell something. And for me, I don't value that above what is A, common sense, B, what is authentic to my own values and see what I think is genuinely the best approach. So I kind of do sit in this middle ground where I am an evidence-based person, but I will also take selfies and talk about my feelings. And actually, you know, when we look at in terms of successful behavior change, and if we consider that in terms of nutrition fitness, we know that you need to understand your values as well as your goals, because otherwise you'll never make actions in line with your values and you will never be successful in long-term maintenance of those actions. So values and being aware of yourself and self-awareness are so important. So it's not really a fairy. I've tried I try very hard to put the evidence base behind talking about your feelings and mindfulness and that side of things so that it doesn't come across as too a fairy. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's it's hard to fit in the middle, I think, when you're trying to sell something because you don't, you know, I, I will post it happens to my social media often I will post one thing that is aligned with potentially anti-diet and I will lose followers and then the next day I'll post about uh, you know saying talking about hunger and saying you know sit with your hunger it's okay and then I'll lose those followers and it's a consistent cycle that I see it's frustrating and 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 I feel like I've kind of came from from that camp uh, as well because I I I competed in bodybuilding. I earned my pro card in in the uh, natural in a natural federation. Um, and then the the term I like to use, which I actually got from a friend, is I'm kind of like a recovering fitness junkie. And and it, that's kind of what it is. So I've transitioned into uh, you know going to the gym six days a week, counting every every macro, every calorie. Uh, basically in my college days and then kind of I've gotten a little bit older I'm 26 now I have more responsibilities I want to do more things with friends I want to go out to eat with my girlfriend uh, my priorities have just changed uh, but I still somewhat have those expectations of the bodybuilder mentality and so I've also transitioned my you know quote-unquote brand or whatever the hell you want to call it uh, tried to take along people with me and I'm trying to now bleed those two together because I genuinely think that at least for, for the people that I work with, because I work with people one-to-one as well, I, I feel like that's the best approach is whenever you can marriage both because you need the the objective data to, to you know measure progress or to uh, uh, just make sure that you're, you're consistent and, and, and doing the things that are the most effective backed by the latest literature. But then you also want to make sure you take care of the subjective side and the compassionate side and then uh, working with yourself so much against yourself. So So kind of... Yeah, how how do you uh, marry those those two kind of approaches in your in your eyes? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think you're probably quite similar to me in that sense in your approach. I used to compete as well in bodybuilding, so I am a very much a recovering fitness junkie myself. Nice <laughs> yeah. to meet you, yeah. and it's very much. I, I think for me, the main underpinning point of this is uh, is is actually the evidence. And I say that because, like I said to you before, even if we're looking at a more holistic approach and we're looking at, say, for example, a more compassionate approach, the evidence is still there for applying a compassionate approach to fat loss. That is still there. And, you know, in bodybuilding or the fitness side of things where we might speak about cheat meals and good foods and bad foods, et cetera, 
if we actually look at the evidence behind that, we know that using terms like that are negative for someone's relationship with food and therefore their health. So again, the evidence is there. So when I might talk, for example, about you, removing the mentality of cheap foods and bad foods, that is very much aligned with this anti-diet movement. But actually, it's very, very applicable to fitness, bodybuilding, etc. I don't care who you are. That's still important. And the underlying um, premise of that is the evidence that's behind it. And so, you know, I, sometimes I'll talk about my feelings. And let's be honest, there's no evidence behind that. But I just think it's I think authenticity is, is important, again, regardless of what your dietary alignment is, um, so to speak. But I just think you need to if you have the evidence to back up what you're saying, People from either camp, so to speak, can argue. They try to argue because what you find, I think, in these camps, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that they very much cherry pick the data that works for them. Um, you have influencers who don't know how to read research, who will pick research from PubMed that aligns with what they want to say. You have very extreme ends of the anti-diet movement who pick out research around dieting that they that fits their narrative. And then on the fitness side, well, you've got the two groups. Again, you've got the people that don't care about research. They say it worked for me, the classic fitness, grind harder mentality. And then you've got the kind of fitness side of things that do try and use the evidence. But again, you know, you, you know yourself, you can find evidence for pretty much anything. Um, and, that, and that's pretty toxic in itself, I think. And everyone is, is responsible for that. Mm -hmm. Why, um, why are you so passionate about this kind of subject and about kind of getting this this message out there to the masses is it because of your your own personal backstory is it because of the the uh women and, and men both that have come to you just kind of struggling to find this middle ground or or they thinking that it's only this way or that way like what was kind of the the genesis of this thinking where you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking do both i'm gonna do both camps right like where where did that kind of come from do you think yeah, I don't, I don't think I realized I was in two camps until someone kind of pointed out to me in the last few years. I was just plodding along doing what I thought was right. But it really came from myself. I had um, 15 years or so of slightly disordered eating um, before fitness. And it was very much the classic over uh, under eating restriction, binge type cycle, overtraining, etc. And that was a result of my own personal circumstances. And that took about 15 years for me to move out of that but I fell into competing alongside that kind of at the end of that transition and then went through the competing phase myself for four years ish what a sorry, sorry to cut you off I like to give timelines like what ages did you have the the more disordered eating habits and then what age did you compete okay so I probably started my disordered eating habits when I was about 16 or 17 okay it was, uh, there was some family family trauma at that point and my food for food for me food was very much um my way of distracting myself and numbing myself from feeling and I was the person in the family who was very positive all the time and held everything together and as a result I didn't outwardly express anything and I used food to, to manage that and at the same time I was a kid a teenager sort of late 90s early 2000s where you know our role models at that point were as well were very very thin so it was a combination of those two those two situations and I got into competing uh probably about 24 20 yeah about 20 24 25 um actually I take that back it was a couple of years after that it was about 26 27 I got into competing about that age and I did my first competition prep with a coach and he was great it was all fine but at that point that was you know that was 
how many years ago, eight years ago, and it was quite still quite behind in terms of what we actually know in terms of knowledge. There was there was no authenticity in bodybuilding. There was no honesty. And I didn't really have a clue what I was doing at that point, even though I was educated in nutrition. I thought bodybuilding was something completely different and nutrition principles didn't matter. And so I followed along and really struggled after that first show period where I, a lot of my old eating habits came back. I very much struggled with gaining weight. I would um, overeat regularly and restrict regularly post-show. And I looked for help at that point and nobody spoke about it nobody was transparent there was just nothing and so at that point I like I said I was about 27 by then and so I just I was do I was lecturing I had access to research so I just looked into the research behind this type of dieting post-dieting struggle and what there was available and at that point I fell into the research behind the negative side effects of dieting so things like food preoccupation binge eating disorders eating habits etc and I'd never seen this before and so I just started researching it more and more. And as I researched it more and more and continued to compete, I implemented quite a lot of the stuff for myself. And through being just transparent on social media, that ended up being the type of clients that were attracted to me. And that's really how my practice kind of evolved from there. And I'm now 34. And so that's where my practice sits now. So, you know, it was very much personal experience and me just trying to find something that wasn't really there. And then it, it worked into a business, end up to doing it for a business, which was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it seems like it, it seems like you're killing it. I know you have a, a, a group of other coaches and stuff that you do some things with as well. And it looks like, yeah, this is the main reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast. It looks like you're doing very good work, uh, at, at least for, for what it's worth for me, right? I, I think that whenever uh adam ali whenever uh physiconomics uh recommended you because i was i was trying to get more females on the podcast because i just i just naturally biased towards males and i was like i need it more more smart females on the podcast um and he was like dude you have to have her on she's great and i was like okay i will definitely look into her then i looked into your stuff and i was like yeah this is exactly the the route that i'm i'm thinking of uh so so yeah kudos to you on that um but what i what i'm what I'm wondering about is a concept that I've thought about a lot with myself and then people that I've worked with. And I'm, I'm wondering if uh, some of your clients come to you as well. And it's, it's this, this idea of, of kind of the marriage between the influencer body acceptance and then the grind harder or the competitor or just like the, the constant improvement and refining of things. How does, how does someone balance maybe even yourself or, or with, with your clients, how do you balance the the body acceptance and being like, okay, I'm perfectly okay as I am, but then also striving to improve yourself, you know? It's such a good question. And it, it's such a good question. And it's a really difficult concept, I think, to explain and, and to discuss with people. And often we talk about, my coaches and myself will talk about, you know, you can't hate yourself into change. And again, if you look at the research behind that, a more compassionate approach actually supports change. But actually, there's this theory called um, the paradoxical theory of change. I'm not sure if you've heard about this before. No, but I'm interested. It's a psychological theory, and it um, talks about the concept that until you are content with who you are and where you are, you're unable to change. And it's very much based on the more content you are with yourself, the easier it is for you to take actions aligned with your values and therefore actually change. So it sounds counterintuitive to say, get at peace with yourself and then you can change 
But actually, because when you become at peace with yourself, you know what you value, you know what's important to you, and you have this kind of base level of this is who I am, but my body is not who I am. My body is, it can, can change, but who I am in terms of my contentment for myself and my values are solid. And so your body then just becomes something that if you want to, for example, diet, you can say, I'll diet, but I know that that's not going to change my worth. It's not going to change my values. Um, and I can continue to diet and it doesn't have to come from a place of self-hatred. So I think it's just so important to move away from that idea that self-hatred leads to change. You know, if you think about anybody that you love, you, you support them the most when you love them. You speak to them most obviously the most kindly when you love them. And usually if you speak to them nicely, you get the results that you want. But if you speak to if you speak to anybody that you love, if you spoke to your girlfriend and spoke to her like crap to get her to do something, she would tell you where to go. She wouldn't do it. And it's the same sort of concept when we think about how we speak to ourselves. And if we speak to ourselves poorly, then we're far less likely to treat ourselves with the respect that we deserve. And that comes into dieting or body image or exercise, however we want to frame it. So it does sound counterintuitive, which is why I like that theory so much, because you know, it, it makes sense if you know yourself, value yourself, then you can make these changes, whatever they look like. And I think it's, I think that actually the anti-diet side of things has created a very toxic shame situation, shaming people into wanting to change their bodies as if it's some sort of shameful, horrible task. And it's difficult because it ties into things like feminism, where we think about feminism. One of the feminist um, con- one of a concept that's rooted in feminism is this idea that women make themselves smaller to suit men and to support men to feel more masculine. So then, if you think about women in terms of fat loss, if they're trying to be compassionate and strong feminists, and they're shamed into making themselves not diet. Um, because they don't want to look like an anti-feminist it's a really really toxic environment so even it's really deep-rooted especially in women this kind of kind of patriarchal impact on us dieting so it's it's a messy it's a messy situation which is why I talk about all of those concepts because we have to be sure in ourselves and who we are and our values so that we don't then feel shamed by feminists for wanting to be smaller because that's how we prefer ourselves or shamed by influencers who tell us that dieting is is for other people and it's not for ourselves um it all comes down to knowing what you value and who you are i think and then the other stuff is is a lot easier to kind of go along with Mm, that's very interesting actually i'm gonna have to look into that but that was that's yeah that's one of the best uh, at least, you know, with the, the time that we have, that's a, that's a, the, one of the best explanations I've, I've heard so far. Um, do you, in your experience, uh, in, in your personal experience or with the clients that you've worked with, everything that you're talking about and, and finding this acceptance or kind of peace with yourself, is it for some people, is it more of just like one singular moment where they have an epiphany moment and they're just like, kind of, okay, I accept myself now and now I can approve? Or is it a series of moments followed by, um, uh, with, followed with actions as well? So taking the actions first and then kind of the acceptance comes after that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's more so the latter. Weirdly, actually, I just had a text before we came on from a client that said, I've just had an epiphany and we've been working <laughs> together for months. So that's very strange. But yeah, usually usually it comes into me saying, right, these are the habits that we're going to put in place for now. We're developing this acceptance. 
And I know that they might feel pointless to you right now, but at some point you will see the ben- you will see the benefit of doing that. So, for example, if I've, I've worked with clients sometimes who have body image issues and consistently check their body every day by pinching themselves or looking in the mirror, for example, and I will tell them, you know, let's let's look at doing positive affirmations every day and um, gratitude practice every day and start calling out how many times we body check each day, things like that. And often it will be a case of slowly they'll find that they're body checking slightly less, slightly less. And then two or three months later, they'll say, I haven't even looked in the mirror for two days. And it's just that moment where they go that I don't have those body issues anymore. And sometimes it's difficult I think to get the buy-in from some people initially I'm quite lucky in that usually people who work with me know see my social media so they know just to kind of ride the wave with it and then they get there um but I don't think anyone just wakes up one day and says oh I'm worth it right I love myself and this is it you know nobody does that you have to put the work in and I think you know we're also willing to put the work into our macros and our and our training and you know improving on our everything everything else that we can log all the data stuff we're happy to do it but if I say to somebody right you're going to every single day look at yourself in the eyes in the mirror and say one thing that you've done well that day no that's really difficult to do so Mm. we have to be accountable to that side of things which I think is where people struggle Mm. yeah how do you ever do you ever uh come across people who are maybe more and and I'm sure you're compassionate with this as as any good coach would be, but I'm also, I'm always trying to figure out the, the, and this, this goes with the, the influencers and things as well, um, who, who are just constantly, I, I, and I'm not trying to speak in absolutes here, but, but blaming other people, blaming society, where does the personal responsibility come into all of this? And, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Do you have people who are, who, who struggle to point the finger back at them and say, it, it's me. Like I need to hold myself accountable uh, and, and take some actual personal responsibility here. Absolutely. And it's very difficult to hold yourself accountable for the way that you talk to yourself because we say, you know, I've ha- I have these negative thoughts and you have these limiting beliefs that you create for yourself. And regardless of where those limiting beliefs have come from, we will work through, you know, why do you have this limiting belief that you are unable to lose weight, for example? And it's usually triggered back to something that someone has said. But ultimately, you are responsible for the way that you talk to yourself. And one of the kind of core facets of mindfulness is detaching yourself from those voices in your head and, and realizing that you're not that voice in your head. And removing yourself from that and saying I am responsible for how much time I give those voices in my head I can tell them to be quiet and I'll step away from them and I'm capable of doing that it's a really hard skill to learn but as soon as you learn it you realize that the narratives that you tell yourself in your head you are responsible for them and so a lot of the work that I will do is around you know asking getting clients to ask themselves is that thought is that thought um, a feeling or is it a fact something as simple as that allows them to go that's a thought that's a thought that's a thought oh I realize now that I'm responsible for that thought and that's where the the accountability comes in and I think as coaches we have to remember that any client that's come to us is motivated to change that's why they've come to us in the first place it's up to us to say to put actions into place that are very easy for them to do so that they never feel that they just have to go I'm a failure I need to be more accountable to myself they are much more able to take easy options that they never feel that they have to almost guilt themselves into into doing something so things like how you talk to yourself 
do some, doing something really simple where you say, right, I'm not going to tell you just to stop talking to yourself like crap. We're going to count how many times you talk to yourself like crap today. And then tomorrow you're going to count how many times, but you're going to go for five times less. Mm. And, and something really simple. I think that it's really easy. And it's the same with if we look at fat loss. It's really easy to say, this is your fault because you haven't done, you haven't stuck to this. But really, why haven't you stuck to this? What, it doesn't matter what we're looking at here, what outcome measure. If someone hasn't stuck to it, it's because we haven't made it accessible enough for them to do that. And so I try and, of course, my clients have personal responsibility and there is a level of personal responsibility. We're all adults. As coaches, if we work with them to identify what they value and what their goals are, then actually the onus is on us, I think, to make sure that they can then take actions in line with their goals, Mm -hmm. which is why I work with not as many clients as some other people, because I think the responsibility is on us. Mm, Yeah, and I'm sure that that does take... uh... That's going. That's go, something like that is going to take uh, probably more effort than just changing someone's macros for the week, right? Talking through these problems that are very deeply psychological and rooted in their minds, and uh, you know the the self limiting beliefs and the invisible scripts and all these different things that that people are trying to get through. Yeah, I'm sure that takes a lot of uh, uh, just connection and talking through things as opposed to just like, hey, eat a hundred calories less this week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for, for sure. And I have clients who will start with me and I'll give them an example, nutrition program, some guidelines, and then they work with me for six months and I don't look at the, barely look at the nutrition again. We might talk about things like, you know, incorporating essential fats and variety and, and that type of thing into it. But realistically, they check in with me every week. They'll make progress even if it's fat loss, muscle gain or something else. And we don't touch the nutrition at all. And I think that I think that's where coaching lies. Like, don't you think that as a good coach, you, you almost become more of a life coach than you do a nutrition coach or a fitness coach? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 the uh, prerequisite that they don't really tell you until you're kind of in the thick of it. And you're like, I am also somewhat playing a therapist here with people. Uh, yeah. and, and that's why I think, yeah, the, there's a there's a point. I mean, depending on who you work with, but I'm I'm working with, uh, you know, people who aren't competitors, more just, quote unquote, normal people who are looking to look and feel better. Um, and it's it's like uh communication is going to be much more important with these people and and behavior change and getting them to actually, you know, do what you're saying, as opposed to knowing the three mechanisms of of muscle hypertrophy, right? It's just like, they don't give a shit about that. They need to figure out like how to actually do the things that you're asking. Um, So, so yeah, I, I I think that that's, that's a good point. And and another point that you brought up about uh, the, the emotions I think one one quote that I, I heard, I can't remember where it was from, but it said that emotions can be real, but not always true. And so that that kind of thinking, uh, I think, is hard to, to get with people because they're always we're kind of programmed to listen to that voice in our head consistently and, and kind of take it as fact. So if you're sitting there berating yourself all day long, even though it's not like you're berating yourself for eating a cheeseburger, it's like. There's you're, there's no reason that you're a bad person, quote unquote, for, for eating the cheese. You're just eating a damn cheeseburger, but you think that you're a bad person because you keep telling yourself so. So you take it as fact, right? It's just it, that's so interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really old kind of um, Buddhist concept is, is removing yourself as context in that way. But actually, when we look at um, psychological flexibility, which is basically the idea that you are able to be present non-judgmental and actually it's associated with things like um making taking action in line with your values and your goals more success with that and um, improved overall well-being and lots of other kind of facets of health 
one of the core components of psychological flexibility is this idea of removing yourself as context and is this idea, this this mindfulness idea of listening to those voices in your head and stepping away. And I think even somebody that's listening to this podcast now will be having listening to us, but also at the same time having a conversation in their head. And to just go, to just be able to say, right, I'm going to silence that conversation and focus on this present moment right now to what they're saying, and I'm not going to listen to anything else. That's a power to say already you can turn those voices off. And if you can continue to do that day to day, and I encourage anyone who who has these, everyone has voices in their head, but I encourage anyone who is listening to say, when you do notice those conversations in your head, go back to the present moment and think about your five senses. So what you can see, smell, taste, touch, feel, and comment, uh, concentrate on each of those things just for a couple of seconds. And at that point, you've already stopped the conversation in your head and you're back to the present moment. And you can do that whenever you want at any time of day and it doesn't cost anything. And it's amazing because it just, if you're talking to yourself like crap, it removes you from that immediately. And once you learn that skill, I think it can be, I think it can be life-changing for a it's, lot of people. It, you know what? I've, I've said, I've said that mindfulness and kind of taking yourself out of those thoughts, it's kind of like a cheat code to life. It's very, it's because I'm, I'm, I, and I would love to maybe go down. I was, I was curious whenever you said Buddhism and things, I'm, I'm curious how much of that, because, because Buddhism, it, it's aligning with a lot of the things that, that you're kind of saying. And then the, 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 the five senses thing, it's weird because whenever I do get flustered or overwhelmed or anxious or something, something that helps me is I literally just like scratch my leg. And it's so weird that like just it brings me out of the moment because I'm I'm then stopping thinking about whatever is going on, the the, the war going on inside my head. And I just I can feel something uh, on my leg. And it's just I don't know. It, that's funny that you said that because I do that just on my own. But I never actually thought about it yet being as like an actual tactical thing to do make yourself more present. Um, so, so that's exactly what we're doing. (laughs) That's, that's cool. So do you, do you, um, uh, because of course with you have, you have the evidence-based stuff, which you're, you're very heavily into as well. Do you have some more of that, um, whatever spirituality, or do you look into the Buddhism type stuff, things like that to, uh, apply with yourself and, and teachings? Yeah, I do. I don't, I don't, I use it to kind of, underpin some of the evidence that I use in the sense of I am an avid meditator and I meditate a couple of times a day and I have done for years and I do a lot of reading around the more compassionate side of Buddhism because a a lot of the coaching that I do is very very compassionate and that's one of the again one of the key facets of Buddhism is is self-compassion and compassion towards others so in that sense I do and a lot lot of my clients will will meditate Um, but I don't talk about it in terms of the spirituality and the reason for that is because I'm very mindful of when I do talk about things on social media I am an evidence-based practitioner and I think you can incorporate that stuff in without it taking over and you become somebody who is accused of manifesting and oh yeah stuff you know I have a I have a crystal in my in my bedroom I'll never tell it like you know I've told you I'll, I'll never put that on social media because when you are at risk of encouraging people to do these things and I have you know I think it reminds me it reminds me of certain values that I have and it just sits there and it gives me comfort of course crystals they do nothing but it's pink and it reminds me of certain things so that's nice but I'm, I can't I won't put that out there because I know that the it's, it's 83 rubbish mm. but I use all of these kind of things to underpin what I do and I might have a conversation with a client where for example if they're feeling that they feel very closed off 
they can't connect with people. I'll say when I feel like that, I will do a meditation on loving kindness, which is a Buddhist meditation. And I will use my crystal and I'll wave it in my room. You know, I'll say that to a client and, and, it, and just... It's a complete placebo effect, of course it is, but we know the power of the placebo effect, don't we? So, yeah, I do incorporate all of that in. I just, I'm very mindful of how I present it um, to social media. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's so true because people will, they, they will lump you into certain, certain camps and things. And I've even, uh, I, I found myself, I, I find myself because I like to, I tend to talk, talk about things. Uh, I love talking about emotions and just kind of understanding those emotions and then interpreting uh, uh, just our everyday lives and, and, and trying to just really break things because, because the losing fat and gaining muscle, it's just like, that's kind of just the surface level goal. And it's like the main goal, they want to be happy. They want to be free of suffering. And it's just like, if you really want to break it down, at least, you know, what the fuck do I know? Of course. But also for me, what has helped me? Right. Um, and the, just the, the stuff that I've read from pretty smart people, at least that it seems like it, it has helped me a lot. And so I think that if I could put that message out there to people and it could be helpful, it's like, yeah, but I think that yeah, sure. Some people may may see it like that, but I think you have you have both, right? You're not just that one person that constantly talks about crystals or consciousness or energy or spirituality and uses all these whatever crazy buzzwords. Um, uh, but you also have the the evidence based side of that. So I think it's I think it's good. I think that it you're you're on the right track with 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 both. I think that you know uh, having a strong foundation in the evidence and then also. If you need to wave a pink crystal around in your room to feel a little bit better, like, so what? Like, who cares? Well, exactly. I know. And that comes down to just being yourself, doesn't it? Let's be honest. But yeah. I think as well, you know, if we think about it in terms of, you know, muscle gain and fat loss, for example, how we eat is so intertwined with how we feel. You cannot distinct, you cannot separate the two. The people that separate the two are the people that are sooner or later going to get them so messed up that they're going to be in a really bad place. And those people are the people that follow meal plans for three years and they think that they can separate the two. But what they're actually doing is ignoring one side of it completely completely numbing themselves from those feelings and focusing on one thing and it will come back around to bite them in the ass at some point and that's fine that's what we're here for but you cannot separate the two and if, again you know people eat for so many reasons away from just my fitness pal or whatever they use to track their calories and it's important it's so important to recognize your own stimulus your own stimuli for eating and your own triggers for eating and again, that comes down to mindfulness in the sense of you need to know how you actually feel in order to identify if you're hungry or if you're eating for other reasons. And if you are eating for other reasons, then you need to be able to work through those reasons and put habits in place that support you if you are upset and you eat or if you're stressed and you eat. We, we can't ignore the fact that those people who suppress their feelings with food eat more calories. And, that's in, and, that, and that is in the research. Um, you know, there's... There was a piece of research that actually looked at people who either um, they, they were given ad libs on food intake and they got each individual to they put them into a negative emotional state with various through various means. And then they got people who regularly suppressed their emotions, people who um, didn't even know what they did, the control group and people who reappraised their emotions. So they identified that they felt bad. But then they could almost put a positivity spin on it. Not a fake one, but they could see kind of a positive spin on it. Glass half and full. Exactly. And yeah. the people who suppressed their feelings, so the people that didn't even acknowledge that they felt bad, 
they they ate significantly more food and specifically they ate significantly more food from junk food i say junk food as a colloquial term crisps comfort food sure sure um no bad foods of course but um and that's just that was once they looked at suppression and and you know there are multiple studies since then that have found similar things so feelings are really important and they trans if you're a coach that doesn't recognize that feelings are important then you're you know you're really doing your clients a disservice Mm, yeah uh do you do you think that if if someone comes to you and i need to make sure i word this correctly um if their goals are just pure, uh, mostly aesthetic reasons, so they're they're trying to lose fat, they're trying to gain muscle, uh, and they're they're mostly in a a quote unquote good place mentally. They don't you know have too many issues. They're ba- they're basically just like, hey, I trust your 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 expertise and knowledge. Like, I'm trying to lose body fat. Can you help me lose body fat? Like with them, do you take more of just like a okay, here, here's your calories, here's your macros, we're going to do this. Um, and then I'm sure you probably also do incorporate a little bit of like mindful eating tactics and, and uh, indicators throughout that? Or is it more so just like calories, macros, more the typical fat loss coach or something? Yeah, I do have some clients who are more of that kind of typical side of things, but we will still incorporate basic things like mindful eating, really simple mindful eating practices because ultimately, especially if they're, if they're dieting, so often people can diet and they can be in a really great relationship with food, body image, et cetera, at the beginning. But when they finish, they're in a very different space. So for me, I like to kind of troubleshoot what might be coming further ahead. And so putting these strategies in, in place, like cognitive, um, sorry, positive psychology, for example, um, mindfulness, those types of habits uh can really support them when they come out of dieting so they might not necessarily see the point at that time and there might not really be a key point at that time i know that it's it's supporting them longer term so that we will still incorporate some of that into it but not necessarily as much they might they you know we might incorporate meditation and daily gratitude for example and that might just be tick boxes and that's great whereas other clients will be doing a lot more deeper work on that Sure. Yeah, no, uh, I like that. What about somebody who comes to you? Because this is this is more so I'm just using this as a con- consult, honestly, just because I know you have more experience, you're, you're smarter, everything. I'm like, hey, just, uh, you know what, I'm going to ask you a few questions that are selfish. Um, with with somebody who comes to you, and they've never really, uh, uh, they haven't tracked calories, maybe they're, they, they've been working out for a while, but their their main thing is they just kind of watch what they eat. How do you approach that from the beginning? Is it is it do you do you have them kind of start with tracking their calories and macros and things? Because that's kind of uh, it's been known to be kind of the the training wheels of understanding nutrition and the basics of portion control and and every, reading food labels and things like that. What's kind of the approach for someone? We'll start with that. What's kind of the approach for someone like that who's just kind of they need more knowledge in general around nutrition and eating habits. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, because I changed the way that I do things. I used to say, well, everyone needs to have an understanding of nutrition and therefore my fitness pal, let's start here. Let's start with tracking and let's go regardless of their background. Um, if that's their, if that's their goals, fat loss, for example. Whereas now I don't do that. Now, if someone comes to me and they've never tracked before, I will give them some guidelines. So I will get, you know, with all of my clients, they'll get nutritional information to start. This is what proteins are, carbohydrates, etc. And so they, they can see what those what portion sizes look like from that initial information. And then I'll give them basic guidelines. So for example, 
at least half a plate of vegetables with each meal, a glass of water before each meal, if they're looking for a fat loss, lean protein with each meal. And often that's all they need. And I and I tend to look at their, like I will take a food diary from clients before they start. And I will tend to look at that and I'll give them an example meal plan. They know that it's not something that they're supposed to stick to um, day in, day out. But if they're having something like an egg on two bits of toast in the morning, really simple, I'll say, right, your average example breakfast is two eggs on two bits of toast. And so that they can just see that for themselves. And often if it's somebody who's looking for fat loss and they've never tracked it, they may well be on the slightly higher end of body fat levels to start with. And they should start to see results for a good couple of months in fat loss just by following those guidelines and incorporating more mindfulness into their day-to-day. So listening to their hunger and fullness cues, also giving themselves permission to eat so that they don't have these kind of excessive cycles where they um, overeat and then try and restrict, etc. And so just putting all of those things in place, so those low-hanging fruits, so to speak, we can get results for a few months. And then if, it, if fat loss plateaus, which it tends to do in that situation, then I'll say, right, well, you're in a great relationship with food at this point. You know, you're starting to learn more. Shall we implement some tracking from this point onwards? And that's generally what we do. So it's not usually a first port of call anymore. It's usually a couple of months in. And that's not always the case. But at the moment, that seems to be more where my practice goes. I love that. I love that, actually, because that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to somewhat find that middle ground or, or the starting point with some of those people because I typically have them track first off too. I'm just like, hey, I think that this is typically the best way to start learning about these things. Um, and then, yeah, t- checking their food and then, of course, any obstacles they, they have. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely take that into account. So thank you for that. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, if somebody is very data-driven, very obsessive with with their 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 because I'm I'm working with with a girl now and and I think that we've we've made some really good progress but it's just uh, like I I asked her about uh, if she didn't use the scale or something what would her fear level be basically like if if I said hey no more using the scale tomorrow she would be like it would be a ten out of ten because I like I need to weigh everything out so how do you kind of transition somebody from and i know that it could be you know pretty complex and we probably do an entire podcast just on that but kind of the the general framework of of transitioning them into uh uh, more just quote-unquote eating like a normal person not obsessing over their food choices as much yeah that's often i think tougher it's tougher for them and it's tougher for us to guide people out of that and i have quite a few clients who come to me who have worked with coaches before and have become very obsessed and then they want to get out of it. And it's it's very tough. It, it's very much a case of being very empathetic and understanding that this is a genuine, a genuine fear that they have and they have severe anxiety over it. I think for me, it's about doing it very slowly. So things like often those people will track carbs, fat and protein every single day. They'll weigh food every single day. And so an example of one of my most recent clients is that um, she's, she hasn't been with me for too long, but we started on things like you're not going to measure your protein sources because she would do things like weigh our protein powder, even though it was in a scoop, et cetera. So we'd say, you know, this week you're going to just do two days of the week without weighing your protein sources throughout the day. You know what they look like. I trust you to know what they look like. So that's what your target is. Very small, very manageable steps. Once you kind of remove the tracking of that, then things like removing um, the removing tracking of vegetables is often people will track vegetables if they like that removing tracking of vegetables which can even that alone can be scary 
Um, and then removing things like carbohydrate and fat targets and just saying, well, you're just going to track your protein and your calories. And then once you've got through that, things like removing Fitbits or activity trackers for a day. And you can say to people, you know, I don't mind if you do the exact same thing that you do every single day. I just want you to do it without your watch that day. Or I don't mind if you eat the same thing every day. But on that day, you're not going to put it into my fitness pal. And because often it's just the habit of putting it in and the reassurance of putting it in. And But it removes the fear if you say you can eat the same thing. Mm. And just taking it step by step. And then eventually you'll do things like, let's not track this meal or let's not track this day and, and working through that. But it's so important to get out of it because it's that type of mentality around food. It, it's very pervasive and it's you have to put the work in to get out of it. But in terms of your overall quality of life, it's so important. And of course, if you get to that point, you're at a severe risk potentially of developing it into an, uh, into an eating disorder. So it's really important, obviously, like you have, is to catch it at that point and, and move out of it just slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing advice. And I will I would definitely we've done we've done variations of that. And it's it's more so um uh going out to eat on the weekends or something, or not tracking one meal, for example, or like if she does go out to eat or something, uh and, and just little tiny baby steps like that. But I like the idea of slowly removing uh, you know, the the vegetables and then the carbs and fats. And yeah, that's 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 really good. Um let's see, I, I think um I did have let's see we're coming up on on 50 minutes. This has been this has been wonderful. I'm I'm learning all sorts of things. So I, I hope every I'm sure everyone else has been enjoying it, but overall I'm enjoying it. So I think that's what matters the most. Um <laughs> uh let's see. One of the questions that I like to 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 kind of actually, you know what? I have I have two more quick questions. They're, we're gonna kind of switch gears away from more of the fitness stuff. One, the first one, we'll start with the first one. What I, I'm just always curious, what is what's exciting you right now? Um, could be presently and it could be not like business focused, it could be personal focused. Um, now and then also like what are you somewhat looking forward to in the future? Oh, good questions, especially given life circumstances right now genuinely what's exciting to me right now is actually just being able to see people I'm still buzzing off that is human connection lockdown I'm an introvert so I w- I'm quite happy to spend time on my own but I think lockdown obviously pushed that to the extreme and actually allowed me to realize that actually I thrive off human connection a little bit more than I thought I mean we all do so genuinely meeting people is, is the best thing in my life right now and it's the really basic things I get excited to go to the gym again that's so basic and I can thank lockdown for that you know I get excited for the really basic things long term though is again it's all lockdown related for me it's about travel and getting getting out of the same place that we've been in for the last six months I think if you ask me on a normal on a normal day my excitement it just falls into is is very much life relationship love excitement but I like to kind of think of everything that I do from a place of love and that sounds quite corny but in terms of any connections that I make whether it be family partners etc is I get that's where I get my excitement from but obviously right now it's slightly different it's about leaving the house <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the, listen I, I get it I think I can I can relate with with a lot of those things where where are you looking where are you excited to if you're okay with sharing where are you excited to to travel once lockdown's over well my big brother lives in the states actually he lives in California oh okay nice and yeah they just had a baby a year ago and both trips to meet said baby have been cancelled so oh. she's now one and I haven't met her yet 
So oh my that, gosh. I'm in the, sorry, sorry to cut you off. My brother, uh, who's, who's older than me, he just had, uh, a, a baby. And so I am, I am now a uncle. I'm a funkle. I'm the fun uncle. And, uh, he, he is about to turn one in, in just a few months. So, so I understand. I know that that's, uh, that, that, that struggle is hard. So, so hopefully you can do that soon enough. Yeah. And that's all I, that, right now, that's my main focus is getting over there and, and getting involved in that type of things really yeah of course of course okay and then the last question if you could be anything you could be seven foot tall you could be super fast you could have an amazing singing voice you could be a great dancer you could be an amazing cook whatever like you could have any type of skill set possible there are no limits here if you could choose any other career besides the career that you're doing now what kind of career would that be such a good question (laughs) I oh god. Um, I think I would be. Oh, this is really cringe. I would absolutely be in a girl band. That's my goals. That was always my goals. Because how? Because if you can sing and dance, life is infinitely easier for you in every way. And then also, then you can make loads of money, and then you can do all the nice things for the world and be a giver. But at the same time, you are also in a girl band, so you have just cool points forever. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. I it that's it's a similar answer for for me. So my answer would be like I'd be like a famous stand up comedian, and so oh, it, be being up on stage, making people laugh, like working at your craft, and also making people laugh and making an impact and making money from it. It's like yeah, sign me up for sure every yes, day of the week. That would be a good job. Yeah, yeah, stand stand up comedian, podcaster on the side as well with your other stand up friends and things. It's like yeah, no, I'm I'm a hundred percent going to do that um but awesome amelia this was this was great i i really enjoyed it where uh where can people find out more about you my instagram is usually where i'm most present it is emilia thompson phd and my website is uh, emilia.fitness and i also have my um, nutrition coach website which is eiqnutrition.com perfect and i will make sure to put all of that in the link description all that fun stuff i want to say goodbye just for like two minutes off air but thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it thank you for having me and that is that my friends thank you so much for listening to another episode of the more than fitness podcast and please if you could help me out a little bit here and leave a rate and review in itunes and also Take a screenshot and post it up on your IG story. Tag me at Matt McLeod 6. I'd love to share it. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast and also so that we can share the word with other people. I would love to build up this community, build up this tribe of people that we have like you and I uh, and get the word out there. Uh, Also, if you want more free content, you can check the links in the description. I have my free four-week workout plan, The Ultimate Physique Development. And also, if you want to work with me online, one-on-one for personal coaching, you can check the link in the description as well. Uh, And anything else you need, please send me an email, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for listening.